Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we look to your word now, I pray that it would be with hearts that are eager to receive it. I pray that you would speak through it. And I pray that you would help us to apply it in our lives, that we might be sharpened, refined, made better instruments in your hand for your use. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking this morning at, at a passage that actually wasn't among those that, that were read. Uh, so I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look together at verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. The words of Jesus, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I think Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, has got to be one of the most often misquoted and misapplied verses in all of Scripture. I, I think we have all heard somebody rip this verse out of context and have it say something that Jesus never intended for it to say. In the presence of ungodly behavior, someone will quote it and say, Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't, don't speak up against what's going on here. We may even convince ourselves that we have no right to speak up when we see wrong being done. Judge not, lest you be judged. Today we want to look at this verse in context and understand how we can benefit from it. And also understand how we might redirect someone who's misquoting it. I, I hope that by the end of, of our time together, you'll know how to answer someone who jumps in and says, judge not, lest you be judged. Each week, I'm asked to provide five words for the children. They have a, a sheet of paper where they can uh, kind of keep track of some of the words that will be heard in the sermon, kind of helps keep them on track. One of the words that I considered submitting this week but didn't, maybe I should have, is the word caveat. Caveat. Uh, this is a word that uh, comes from the Latin caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware. It's used commonly in real estate transactions to suggest that before someone signs a purchase agreement that that person needs to inspect carefully the piece of property that he's looking to buy caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. And so this word has come to apply to any warning that is given to somebody who is thinking about taking a certain course of action. 
And so I thought it was fitting to use that word as we look at this passage, because in this passage, Jesus gives three warnings toward people who are considering the action of passing judgment on somebody. Three caveats, if you will. And keeping these caveats in mind as we look at this passage, I think will help us not to misapply it. Caveat number one, the standard that you use will be used on you. The standard you use will be used on you. Look again at verses one and two. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The standard you use will be used on you. Um, this statement of Jesus, you'll notice, comes in two parts. And where most people get themselves into trouble is part, quoting part A without ever getting to part B. They'll jump on part A and say, judge not lest you be judged, but not get on to part B. Part A is, is verse 1. It's a memorable statement. Judge not that you be not judged. The problem, though, with memorable statements is that they can be misused because they're designed to be memorable. They're designed to stick in our minds. They're not designed to fully explain something. That requires a little bit more. And verse 2 provides it. Part B is verse 2. It gives the explanation of the memorable statement. Notice how it starts. For... So it's explaining what came in verse 1. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Literally, uh, in the judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And in the measure you measure, you'll be measured. We've probably all heard it slightly differently. Uh, we've probably all heard if you're going to dish it out, you'd better be prepared to take it, right? It's essentially the inverse of the golden rule right across the page on verse 12. Uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do unto others what you would have others do to you. This is the inverse of that. Don't use the standard on others that you wouldn't want used on yourself. The standard you use in judging somebody is going to be used on you. So when you're tempted to be critical of someone, ask yourself, is what I am about to say what I want? Is the standard I'm about to use one that I would want used on me? It should prompt us to stop and think before expressing judgment. Maybe to ask a couple questions. Questions like, do I know the whole story? What's going on in this individual's life that if I knew, I might not quite jump on them the way I'm thinking of jumping on them now? Is there something I might be missing? Have I sought to understand? Or am I just looking to condemn? What if we responded to people 
who do something we don't like with the words, help me understand, rather than, you rascal. I, I think my tendency is, is to want to respond with, you rascal. But what if we just took the time to say, help me understand? Those three words can be tremendously helpful anytime we can't figure out why someone's doing what they're doing. Even when someone's doing something really nice, somebody gives us a gift right out of the blue and we look at that and we go, what's this about? Help me understand. Or somebody does something really mean to you and you say, help me understand what, what's going on here, what, what you just did. Help me understand. Very helpful words. Caveat number one, the standard you use will be used on you. It's good to keep in mind. I've seen a lot of discourse on social media that I don't think would be there if people abided by caveat number one. For some reason, people say things about others on social media that they wouldn't want used on them. Maybe it's the distance that social media provides. It's a safe distance. I can lob things at someone without being very direct or getting face-to-face. It's kind of like the difference between infantry and artillery. Uh, infantry is up close and personal. You're looking somebody in the eyeball. Uh, artillery, uh, you can lob from a distance, and so we, we lob shells from a distance that can be very destructive. So people say on social media things they wouldn't say face-to-face. So we need to ask, is the standard that I'm using one that I would want used on me. It's good to stop and ask. You'll notice in the text that these verses also speak of judgment. Four times does Jesus use the word judge or judgment here. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. Four times, judgment. So, what judgment is this? When does this judgment take place? Well, the good news for those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation is that in him our penalty eternally has been taken away. We don't need to fear judgment. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He paid it all on the cross for us, and when we put our trust in him and his sacrifice on our behalf, we are forgiven eternally, no judgment. So, if it's not referring to eternal judgment, what is it referring to? Three possibilities, I believe. First, is the sort of judgment that people around us will pronounce on us based on the judgment we pronounced on them. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. The people around us will judge us in the same way that we have judged them. You reap what you sow, relationally. People will avoid someone who is highly judgmental. They'll judge you and keep their distance from you. That's one possibility. Second possibility is the chastisement or the discipline of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, 
starting at verse 27, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The chastisement or discipline of the Lord. So in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is speaking about the Lord's Supper and urging us to examine ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord so that we don't come in an unworthy manner and eat and drink judgment on ourselves. What's happening here in Corinth is that, that based on the ungodly behavior of some people in the congregation, some had gotten sick, others had actually died. I believe God does that rather than to allow his name to be discredited. So God disciplines or chastises those he loves. When we are not living in, in accordance with the way God wants us to live, he will discipline us to bring us back to himself. So that's another possibility in terms of this judgment. The third possibility is the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment, where we stand before Christ for judgment on our works to determine relative reward. We are not condemned, but we do stand before God to give account. Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 10 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat, Greek word bema, of God. You've heard of the, the bema judgment. This is it, a judgment for relative reward. In the context of people passing judgment on one another, Paul writes to them in Romans 14 and says, there will come a day when we all stand before the judgment seat, bema, of God. Same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul's giving, using the same words, speaking about our desire to please God and recognizing that we will be accountable to him. And then he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, again that word bema, of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this Judgment Jesus speaks about uh, could be the judgment of others around us, re returning to us the judgment we've given to them. It could be the chastisement or discipline of the Lord, or it could be our ultimate accountability before the judgment seat of Christ. So caveat number one, the standard you use will be used on you. Caveat number two, and I'm going to use some technical theological language here, so hang on. You need to deal with your own stuff first. Verses 3 to 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You need to deal with your own stuff first. When we see this parable, this illustration that Jesus uses, the first thing that strikes most of us is the huge difference in size between a speck of dust and a log. The fault that we are quick to point out in somebody else is infinitely, infinitesimally smaller than the fault that we're willing to look past in ourselves. And that's true. Jesus calls the person who does it a hypocrite because he's looking past an enormous fault to find a very small fault in somebody else. Paul addresses the same thing in Romans chapter 2 that was read earlier. Let's turn back to it, though. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The person who condemns another for the thing that he himself is doing is a hypocrite. Paul points it out here in Romans 2 and Jesus points it out in the passage in Matthew 7. Hypocrite. Remember the account of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? Some people bring this woman to Jesus wanting to stone her. And what does Jesus say to them? Let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Like that situation, we need to consider our own issues before we take on someone else's. Until we've dealt with our own stuff, we're hypocrites when we try to correct somebody else's. The other thing that ought to impress us here in in Matthew chapter 7 is the sheer impossibility of doing what we're proposing to do. Remove a speck from someone's eye when we've got a log in our own. We can't see to remove the speck. It's impossible. The log hinders us from being truly helpful Imagine trying to help someone remove a speck from their eye when when you've got a log in your own eye. You just can't do it. You're physically incapable of doing that until you get rid of the log. Removing something small from somebody's eye is a really delicate procedure. Have you tried doing that? Even trying to do it for ourselves, you know, in the mirror up close, but somebody else's eye, that's... It's a very delicate thing. You need to approach it carefully. 
And you need to be able to see clearly if you're going to try it. The eye is the most sensitive spot on your whole body. It, it closes up when something touches it. Have you ever had a glaucoma test as a part of an eye exam? That little puff of air that hits your eyeball? Uh, and, and, and what happens? Your, your eye instantly closes. Uh, it's, it's, it's not an enjoyable experience. It's a battle every time for me, trying to keep my eye open. The eye is that sensitive. So to do something in your brother's eye, you need to be able to see clearly so that you can act carefully. It's a sensitive thing. The truth is, we can see faults in others that we can't see in ourselves. We don't realize we've got a log in our own eye. Sometimes we need a brother or sister who loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves that we can't see. Think about the prophet Nathan when he confronted David in 2 Samuel 12 that we read earlier. He told David a story about a rich man who took a poor man's lamb, more a pet than a piece of livestock, slaughtered it and made a meal out of it for himself and a dinner guest. And David was infuriated to hear the story, rightly so. He said, anyone who does that deserves to die. And he doesn't realize that the story's about him until Nathan said, you're the man. David was blind to his own sin and yet ready to condemn the man in the story who turned out to be him. We call blind spots blind spots because we don't see them ourselves. We need the help of a brother or a sister. We need a Nathan in our life. We need to welcome a rebuke. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't resent the friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth you're not seeing. I did that this week. Someone told me something I didn't want to hear. He did it gently. He did it from a caring heart. And my defenses went up with amazing quickness. And later I apologized for shooting the messenger and thanked this person for sharing what I hadn't seen. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. We're being wise when we can appreciate a rebuke. We need people we can trust to remove something from our own eye that's causing us not to see clearly. And that leads us to caveat number three. There's a difference between judging and discerning. There's a difference between judging and discerning. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There's a difference between judging and discerning. I find it fascinating that in the same context of judge not that you be not judged, Jesus goes on to refer to people as dogs and pigs. Look also across the page at verse 15 where he refers to some people as wolves. 
Did he forget what he had just said about judging? Was this a scribal addition inserted into the text at a later date? No, I believe this was deliberate and instructive. And it shows the difference between judging and discerning. We've just been cautioned that the standard we use will be used on us. We've just been encouraged to deal with our own stuff first. But here Jesus says we need to be wise and discerning in how we deal with others. What would happen if you tossed a bucket of pearls into a pig pen? The pig would think it's something to eat. That's how pigs think. They see something show up and they figure, oh, good, something to eat. They would think maybe it's like nuts or peas, just another thing you're throwing in to help feed them. And the pig would soon find out that pearls are not very edible. They don't taste good. They hurt the pig's teeth. And so the pig would reason that you have tricked it and the pig would be mad at you. Your pearls would be wasted and your pig would probably come after you. That's the picture Jesus draws here. But who's he talking about? Who are the dogs and pigs of verse 6? Verses 1 through 5 deal with what we might say to a brother. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Verse 3. Verse 5. Take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. So 1 to 5 is clearly about a brother, but verse 6 couldn't be. Who then would it be? Well, let's get a couple clues from the passage. Jesus is speaking about giving dogs what is holy. He's speaking about throwing pearls before pigs. We're talking about something that is holy, something that is of great value that could be described as a pearl. Jesus spoke of a pearl in a parable in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 45 and 46, the pearl of great price, which is the gospel. The gospel is both holy and of great value. If Jesus is referring to the gospel here, what's he telling us? Should we not share it with sinful people? Where would any of us be if that were the case? Can't be that. He tells us in the Great Commission to bring the gospel to all people. That would include all unbelievers. So he can't be telling us not to share our faith. But there does come a point where it becomes unwise to continue to present what is holy to someone who rejects it. Jesus gave instruction to the twelve in Matthew chapter 10 Verses 5 to 15, as he sent them out. Remember it? Jesus told them to find out who is worthy in a town. Enter that house. And if anyone won't receive them or listen to their words, they were to shake the dust off their feet and leave. People who reject the message get to the point where they don't get to hear it anymore. Paul stopped preaching to the Jews 
who rejected his message in Acts chapter 13, verses 44 to 48. And he preached the gospel instead to receptive Gentiles. Did the same thing in Acts chapter 18. Did the same thing in Acts chapter 28. When we encounter strong resistance and rejection of God's truth, we need to turn to find more receptive soil. That's not being judgmental. That's being discerning. And there's a big difference between the two. I believe that applies beyond the bare gospel as well. As we grow in our walk with God and as we learn from his word, we pick up other pearls that are worth sharing with other people. Insights that could be helpful if someone's willing to hear them. We need to be discerning, though, when people aren't willing to listen. Again, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Don't go there. He won't receive it well. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. The NIV says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. We want people to respond favorably to God's word. We want them to receive it gladly. And sometimes sharing God's word becomes sharing something someone doesn't want to hear. We need to be discerning. The conversation gets to a point where we recognize it's not going to bear good fruit. So we step away for a time when we recognize things are escalating out of control, that we're going to lose the ability to have an influence on that person if we continue to press on. So be discerning. There's a difference between judging and discerning. Three caveats, three warnings for when we are inclined to make a judgment. Number one, the standard you use will be used on you. Number two, you need to deal with your own stuff first. Number three, there's a difference between judging and discerning. So now, when someone misquotes Verse 1, I hope you've got something you can reply with to show that this is not talking about never expressing uh, a negative uh, uh, judgment relative to something someone's saying or doing. You can take them through verses 2 through 6. More importantly, I pray that God will help us to recognize those caveats when we are inclined to judge, so that our judgment will be not only fair, but also helpful. You'll find some questions for further thought on the insight in your program. I hope that you'll uh, be able to make use of those throughout the coming week. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, your perfect, inerrant word, that speaks to us, that guides us into all truth, that has in it the very words of life. I pray, Father, that 
you would help us to cling to your word, to treasure it, and to live by it. Help us, Father, as we think about judging, to be careful in that opportunity that you give us, to do so in such a way that we are directing people to your word and ultimately to you as the one who is the judge before whom we will all one day stand. Thank you that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are robed in his very righteousness. We need not fear that judgment. Help us to exercise compassion on those who don't yet know him, that we might lead them to him so that they might stand before him robed in white as well. In Jesus' name, amen.